We're doing? We're doing okay? Yeah. Christian, I just want to say, you know, thank you for trusting uh, me with this. You know, uh, just thank you for trusting me. I don't need to say anything else. And, uh, uh, you know, we just thank you for uh, believing in us. And I just want to say on behalf of our generation, I just want to take time to honor you just for a second and for the people who lead beside me that we're behind you. We believe in what you're doing. We believe in this church and we're committed to seeing your vision fulfilled because God's given it you. So we're behind your church. You know, um, it's good to get excited about the word of God, isn't it? So, you know, this morning, don't be afraid if something resonates with you. Don't be afraid to, to let people know. You know, don't be afraid to say amen because, you know, sometimes there's things in the, in the preach that, you know, you want to apply to your own life. Don't be afraid to say amen. You know, don't be afraid to, you know, I want that for me. You know, don't be afraid to, to do that this morning. This is not the church of the chosen frozen. No, it's not. So, uh, as Christians mentioned, we're talking about stories that live. And last week, he, he, uh, he opened perfectly with his story of his briefcase. And today I'm going to bring something that happened to me uh, not too long ago. But first of all, we're going to start at John 16, verse 5. So if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to read that. It should be on the screens as well. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate won't come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, we're going to part that for a few minutes. But last November, I was booked onto a uh, coffee machine course. Impressive, I know. Um, I was going down to London the next day, and I had to wake up super early. The the meeting was about half past nine, I think. So I woke up at five o'clock. It was still dark outside. And, uh, you know, I I was a bit hazy in what I was doing. Uh, anyway, I had a pack with the information that I needed to get down there. It had the address on. It had the address of the place I was staying that night. I was super excited because I was staying at my cousin's and I'd not been there before. And, uh, yeah, so I, I headed off anyway at 5 o'clock. So I'm on my way to the, uh, uh, to the, to the coffee training course. I get about 20 minutes outside of London. I realize I'm going to arrive an hour early. I'm thinking, this is great. And I did what every guy does when they've got a spare hour. I thought about food. So... Um, don't judge me. <laughs> so, you know, immediately I've got the, uh, I've got the, basically I've got the bacon cob in my mouth already. You know, I'm thinking I'm going to pull up this place. I'm going to be an hour early, super composed. I'm going to go across the road, get a bacon cob and have a coffee. And then I'll, I'll go back in and stroll across 10 minutes early. And that'll be really cool. So anyway, I carried on and uh, I got to my last few turns and I started to realize that this didn't look like a place that I was kind of expecting. Um, Instead of an industrial kind of area, you know, I'm going to the London School of Coffee, so I'm expecting this to be a, far, a fairly big deal, you know, or it's, it's going to be a fairly decent, decent place. It was kind of residential, so I'm thinking, okay, maybe this is a bit different to what I thought. I got to my penultimate turn and uh, went down the road, and instead of it getting more industrial, it got more residential. And when I say residential, I mean residential with a capital R. Like, there was, like, the woman like pushing the push chair down the road. There was the primary school on my right-hand side. There was houses lying in the street. And the bane of every village dweller's life, there was the one-foot speed bumps. You know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking maybe this is not London School of Coffee, maybe this is Leather School of Coffee. Do you know what I mean? So I, I made the last turn on the road. My, uh, my phone informs me that I've reached my destination. I'm thinking, I've not reached my destination. There's houses lining the street. So I, I drove around a bit because the sat-nav is always wrong. And um, 
and realise I, I, I went to my pack, I went back to my information because it was on my seat and I'm thinking, you know, I can't have done this wrong, can I, surely? So I uh, went to my information and quickly realised that I'd put in the address of my cousin's house that I was supposed to be at later that night. Only me, like, this can... <laughs> This is, this is uh, daily life with me, so, you know, pray for Helen. Um, yeah, so I, I, looked, I, I quickly put the other address in the sat-nav, and, and, like, to my dismay, it said it was going to take me an hour to get there. And I had an hour left. I, that was cool. But an hour around here, when it says on the sat-nav, is, is normally an hour. But an hour in London on a weekday morning at half past eight don't normally take an hour. It normally takes one, two, or three hours. I put my sat-nav down and I came back with a realization that I shouldn't be here. That's the title of my message this morning, I shouldn't be here. You see, we have an expectation of how life will go. Like, I know I do. That morning I set out, I expected to leave and get to my destination. I expected at about half past eight, nine o'clock to turn up at London School of Coffee. I had an expectation of how my journey would go. And with the same with this in our lives, we expect, sure, there's going to be a few twists and turns, but we expect life to go, you know, fairly well. We expect to kind of be able to plan our lives. We expect to be able to, uh, to, to know the flow of life. I call it the uh, it won't happen to me syndrome. It's, this, it's the, kind of, the kind of idea that I won't be given that car. It won't happen to me. Uh, I, I won't be given a, a free holiday. It won't happen to me. I won't win that competition. It won't happen to me because we live like that, don't we? On the same coin but on a different side is the idea that uh, I probably won't be in financial crisis. It won't happen to me. I won't have an issue in my family. It won't happen to me. My, my life probably won't spiral out of control. It, it won't happen to me. But sometimes we find ourselves in situations that it feels like we're so far off plan that we never, we'll never make it, that we'll never get back. You know, I, I know that this day that I was so far off plan, I, 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 I didn't think I'd make it to the course. I thought, to be honest, the whole journey would be wasted. I'd get there a few hours late and I'd miss the whole thing and it, it'd all be a waste. I didn't think I'd make it. You see, my, my little story serves as a metaphor for something far bigger in your lives. Those moments where you have... In your life, I shouldn't be here. You don't feel like you should be here. It might not have been any fault of your own. I, I shouldn't be here. That, that job situation, that, that family issue, I shouldn't be here. The more I started to think around the subject, the more I, I started to, when, when, when Phil asked me, this was literally, this came to my mind straight away, this story. And I started to look into it and start to say, you know, say, God, what do you want to show people? What do you want to teach us through this? And, and God had already said a few things through this story to me that will be revealed later, but I started to look in the Bible, I started to think about the characters of the Bible, and I started to think about, you know, um, was, was, this, was this something that happened in the Bible? And the more I looked, the more I realized that, that this, it sh- I shouldn't be here, was central to the characters of the Bible. So if we start at Adam, let's start at the beginning. Adam, one minute in the Garden of Eden, enjoying the favor of God, walking with God. We, we read about him in a few more chapters, and he's dealing with the murder of his son. I shouldn't be here. What about Joseph? Joseph is, is enjoying the favor of his father's house. You know, I've got the best clothes. Look at my coat. I'm awesome. Then the next minute is a slave and then a prisoner. I shouldn't be here. What about Moses? 
One minute a prince, the next minute a poor farmer. I shouldn't be here. This is not just something in the Old Testament. This is the New Testament as well. What about Peter and John? They've just healed a guy. They get pulled before the authorities of the day. I shouldn't be here. This is going to bring us on to our next Bible verse. It's Acts 16, verse 22. We're going to start up. It says this. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened the feet and the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. This blows my mind, this story. This story absolutely blows my mind. The, 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 the further in the kingdom of God, Paul and Silas are, they're on a mission to further God's kingdom. They're preaching, they're telling the good news, they're helping people, they're healing the sick, they're delivering people. And all of a sudden, they find themselves flogged, beaten, and locked up in jail. And, and I'm like, okay, I think if that were me, I'd be secretly fuming. I like to put myself in the Bible. I, it might be a sign of my uh, partial ADD brain, I guess. Um, but I like to put myself in the Bible. And I just kind of think, what if Silas would have acted a bit like we acted sometimes? You know, they kind of had the thought. And they get in the prison, they're in the prison stocks. And, you know, you can't do this to Paul because Paul was, you know, he was a, I can't say that, he was, he was, he was awesome. <laughs> Paul was awesome. And uh, I just imagine them being in the jail, like locked up next to each other. And Paul's like, Silas, are you okay? And Silas is like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm great, Paul. My back's killing. I'm locked up in jail. I'm doing awesome. You know, like you have those moments when you're angry, but you know you shouldn't be. I don't need to elaborate. So Silas, I think Paul's kind of picked up that Silas is a bit angry. And Paul goes... You know, Silas, isn't it a pleasure to be locked up for Jesus? You know, Silas is like, Silas is like, yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure, Paul. Uh, I'm tired. I want to go to sleep. There's a stinking jail and there's a guy next to me with a knife and I don't know what he wants to do with it. So Paul kind of picks up that Silas is not in a good place at the moment, so he, he leaves him. And Silas, you know, I feel sorry for him in, in my own little situation here. Silas is... He's just starting to drop off to sleep. He's starting to feel good. And it's about midnight. And what does he hear? Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Come on now. Power and majesty, praise. Paul's singing and Silas is like, giving him the dead eye, you know. Paul's singing, but he's not, he's not knowing. He's not like paying any attention. He's just carried on. So Paul carries on singing, shout to the Lord, because of course it's Darling Check's song that he was singing. And he's going, hey, Paul, buddy, 
yo, um, trying to get to sleep here. You know, let's just calm it down. There's people looking at us a bit weird. There's people trying to get to sleep in the jail. Uh, I'm a bit tired, mate. You know, I told you my back's beaten. My, I'm, I'm chained up. I'm just trying to get to sleep. You know, Paul's like, come on, Silas. Let's just hope in the Lord. And Silas is like, I'm hoping he's going to shut you up, mate. And Silas says, Paul, let's wait till the morning. Why don't we just wait till the morning? We'll not offend people. People won't get upset with us. I can go to sleep. Let's just wait till the morning. You see, in this story, if they would have waited till the morning, I'm not sure the breakthrough would have come. In this story, if they would have waited until the morning, I definitely know the breakthrough would have come later. Because as they praised, the chains came loose. See, in the darkest hour, when the night was at its darkest, their praise was at the loudest. You see, my, my, my little story this morning, that, that is not actually how they acted. They actually went before God in the darkest hour when they were chained up, when there was people all around them looking at them, probably shouting things at them. The praise was at the loudest. When their situation looked the worst, the praise was at the loudest. Sometimes the temptation for you and me is to wait until the morning, wait till the situation looks a bit better. Wait until, wait until the light starts to come over the horizon. Then actually, yeah, we can, get, we can praise God for something. We can glorify God for something. Friends, you have, two situa- you have two choices when you get into a situation like this. When you get into a I shouldn't be here moment, you have two choices. One is to glorify God. The other is to glorify your situation. In the middle of the darkest hour, they chose to glorify God. And the chains came loose. You see, I know in my own life is I've praised God. When I've come into situations that I feel like I shouldn't be here, what have I done to deserve this? Is I've gone into that secret place, I've gone into my room, and I've praised God. The chains have fallen off. You know, not too long ago, me and my wife have just been through a couple of things just lately, and one with a job, and just not a great report with that. And then, not a great report on Helen, but I mean, just, just not good news for the job. And, and uh, then one morning, I came back from football, you know, I, I think I'd won, so I was happy. And, um, <laughs> and my wife was just a bit upset. She said, I said, what's up? And we had some pretty bad news, you know, much worse than a job. And uh, we sat there, and my wife cried in my arms. And, and uh, mm. you know, in the middle of that situation, we had two choices. Glorify the situation. Mm. Or glorify the God who was over it. I'm sure, we sat there for a few minutes, and... Mm. We sat there for a few minutes, but what did we do? We'd learned this over years, you know, we'd learned this over our parents showing us. We glorified God in our situation, we prayed. In our darkest situation, we prayed. And the chains began to fall off. You know what? 
where there was fear, it was faith. And this is not just, some, this is not just rhetoric. This is not just me preaching this morning. This is, this, is, this is real. Throughout the day, we praised our God. We glorified God. And the chains fell off. The chains fell off. Friend, if you, if you choose to glorify your situation, that's a really, really quick way to the road of bitterness. It's a really quick way to the road of regret. It's a really quick path to the road of cutting yourself off from everybody else. When you decide to glorify your situation, funnily enough, you stay in your situation longer, you just look at Moses and how they walked around that mountain for 40 years, they glorified the situation. Let's have a look at James, what, what James, uh, James 1 verse 2 to 4 says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, not lacking anything. That verse seems weird. But I know that every single time I've been through something, that every single time that I've decided to glorify God, in spite of my situation, I've come out bigger. I've come out stronger. I've come out with a bigger revelation of who God is. I've come out realizing that God is for me, that God is with me. And guess what? Like Jeremiah says, he knows the plans he's got for me. See, there's certain things that God can only teach you in the valley. There's certain things that God can't teach you on the mountaintop. Anyway, back to my story. So I made it. I made it to the course. Great. I got there an hour and a half, two hours late. The lovely thing was they waited for me. So... uh, (laughs) So we waited and we did the course and it was brilliant and uh, it was a good day. I, at the end of the day, I, I had a, a, a few hours left. My parents were coming down to join us the, the, uh, for the day after. They were coming down that night. Uh, Phil and Ivy, my cousins, I knew we were going to be back late. Um, so it was about four o'clock. I said to my coffee teacher, like the guy who ran the class, I says, mate, let's go out for a drink. Let's get a drink. I'll drop you off home. So we did that. I went to his house and that's a whole different story in itself. <laughs> Some people are laughing because they know the story. And, um, yeah, so I got to the house. Anyway, we had a, we had a coffee and different things, and then I, I went. I left. And I'm thinking, this is great. I'm just in a, in a really good mood. Like, God, you know, God just looked after me. And let me just say this. While I was going through this story, it was like God was trying to teach me something. And uh, it, God definitely put it on my heart when, when I was going through this. And so, anyway, two minutes into my journey, I'm in the center of London. Um, I don't really know where I am. I'm right next to the Olympic Stadium, actually. Um, my phone dies. And that's got my sat-nav on it. And that's got my directions on it. And, uh, but because I'd been there in the morning, because I'd accidentally gone to my cousin's house in the morning, I knew what rate waiter had. I knew to follow the A-10. So I got on the A-10, and about half an hour into my journey, I started to realize, I started to see things that I'd seen in the morning. I started to see, I saw a Krispy Kreme, and I was like, amen, I'm going there. So I, I went to Krispy Kreme, I pulled across, you know, the manner of heaven, I believe it was Krispy Kreme. Um, you know, ask Phil about that one when he comes back. Um, I went into Krispy Kreme, another bizarre thing happened to me. When I was paying, there was, the woman was like, yeah, come and have a look behind here, like, showed me around the back. It's like a, 
It's like some kind of factory thing where they send the rest of the stuff for the, for the country. I walked in Sainsbury's. And anyway, I set back off. Now, the only problem was I didn't know the house number and I didn't know which house it was. And the street that they live uh, is, is, is London parking. So you park wherever. So, like, they could have been parked, like, four, five, six hundred yards away from where the house was. It could have been anywhere. So I was kind of expecting to get there and knock on doors. <laughs> you know, do you know where my cousins are? I'm lost. <laughs> they probably think I would dress up smartly thinking oh not another Jehovah, uh, Jehovah's Witness uh, um, so uh, I carried back on and, uh, but yeah still with this kind of thing in my mind how am I going to find the house that penultimate turn again there's something about that turn I pulled in and my parents were just in front of me right in front of me we, we took the the turn at the same time, I'd literally, that was the first time I saw them, that penultimate turn, they turned in, and I could go to the house, I knew where to go, God showed me this day that he is in control, the one thing I want you to take from this message this morning is God is in control, you know, you might feel like you're taking a diversion, you might feel like you're in a place where there's no hope, you might feel like you're in a place that I shouldn't be here, this is not the right place to be, but God's in control. God is in control. Let me just take you back to John 16. You thought I'd forgot about it, didn't you? I didn't. John 16, here we go. Let me go back. Let's get it on the screens if we can. That'd be great. John 16 says this, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me where are you going. Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate won't come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. When he comes, he'll prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment and the band are going to start coming up now and we read this and I imagine again the disciples to be like Jesus you can't go we're supposed to be building your kingdom we're supposed to be advancing your kingdom what about all these things that you've told us these last three years have been a waste you can't go if you go what do we do we're lost we've got no leader we've got no one to follow Jesus you can't go you can't go But Jesus says, in different words, I've got a better plan. I've got a better way. See, Jesus has always got a better plan. See, it might look in the situation, he says, rather you're filled with grief because I've said these things. You know what, friend, you might be in your grief at this time. You might be in grief because you feel like you're in a situation that you shouldn't be there. But God's in control. God is in control. He's got a better plan. You see, in John 16, we find out that he had a plan to, not, not just for Israel, you know, the, the, we tend to box God in. We tend to kind of fit him in our, our little idea of who God is. And the disciples probably thought they were just going to restore Israel or wh- whatever. But Jesus had a plan for the world. And that plan needed something far bigger. You see... In your situation, it may hurt now, but maybe God's creating room for something better. Maybe God's creating room for something bigger. Maybe God's building something in you that you can't see just yet. But let me tell you, friend, he's got a plan for you. God is in control. Let's go back again to Acts 16. Let's see how that finished because we, we kind of left it there on a, on, a, on a knife edge. And in Acts 16, 29, it says this, the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. See, Paul and Silas realized this. They had an understanding that, you know what, I might be in a bad situation right now, but maybe it's God's plan. Maybe God's got a bigger idea than I've got. And maybe, maybe this situation that I'm in that looks terrible is for someone else's benefit. If they weren't in jail, the jailer don't get saved. You might be in that work situation. You might be struggling at the moment. You might be in a place at the moment where you feel like no one likes you, that you feel like you're kind of, you're insignificant. But friend, if you get your eyes off of me, if you get your eyes off of your situation and onto God, maybe God's got someone in that situation that you need to help. It's called a change of perspective. It's getting your eyes off yourself and getting your eyes onto heaven. I believe in every situation of your life, in every sphere of influence that you are in, in every club, in every workplace, in every school that you're in, God's got a plan for you. God's got people that he wants you to affect. God's got people that he wants you to help. See, we serve a God. You're going to like this. We serve a God who turns tests into testimonies. We serve a God who turns tests into testimonies. Is anyone excited about that? He's almost like a magician for me. One minute's a test. Boom! Testimony. What about my friend Pete? Diagnosed with cancer. Now it's his biggest testimony. Hundreds of people have heard the story. People have got saved off of that story that, yeah, he was in a bad place. He got diagnosed with cancer. And God healed him. Test. One second. Testimony the other. Boom. There's different situations around this room where that is applicable, where God's turned your test into a testimony. And only he can get the glory for it. Only he can get the the honor for it. Only he can be glorified through it, friend. See, God has a way of taking the embers of our greatest disappointments, breathing on them and turn them in to our greatest stories. You take one thing from this message, it's God is in control. God is in control. Friend, it might seem like your, your boss is in control. It might seem like your doctor's in control. But I came here to tell you this morning that God's in control. God is in control. Come on, let's get excited about that. God is in control. Is there anyone who wants to say amen this morning to that? That God is in control. Our God, the God of angel armies, is in control. He's got a plan for you. He's got a purpose for you. It's a plan that's good. It's a good plan. We're going to stand and sing for a second. And then I'm just going to finish finish up and pass to Christian. Christian. But let's just stand to our feet. Let's sing this. And then we're going to, then we're just going to bring it into land. Come on. I will come.